0: Our scripture reading this morning is from First Thessalonians chapter two, verses one through twelve. Would you please stand with me out of reverence for God's word? It can be found on page nine eighty six in your Purach Bible. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Thessalonica. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. If you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is God's word.
1: Keep those Bibles open to 1 Thessalonians, and let's ask God to meet us in his word this morning. Lord, we praise you that you are a God who speaks and that your word has the power to change lives. May we be among that number this morning, Lord. Would you speak to us and change us by your spirit as we open your word for the sake of your glory and praise. Amen. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ... I want you to stop for a moment and think about what God did to open your eyes to Christ such that you placed your faith in him. What did it take? What did he do? Each one of us has a different story. So think about what was going on in my life. Think about who God used in my life. To open my eyes to who he really is. And I want you to, as you think of those names, who it was, write those names down in your worship folder. Who did God use in your life to open your eyes to who Jesus Christ is? Think about what you heard from that person. Or from those people? What did they say to you? What did they do with you? How did they live before you? Think about what you saw in their lives. What was it that God used to open your eyes to Jesus? And if you're not a believer in Jesus, then maybe think about what might it take to open your eyes to Jesus? What would you be looking for in the life of someone if you were going to take them at their word. So I'll give you a minute. Write down those names. Who was it that God used? What did you see? What did you hear from them? Such that your eyes were open to Christ and you put your faith in Him. Now look at your list, look at those names, look at those details, if you've, it's okay if you're still thinking, but my guess is that if we were to compare what we've just jotted down in our notes about how we came to know Christ, who God used, what we heard, uh, I think we would see all sorts of different answers on those pages. All sorts of different events, different circumstances. Some of our stories might have involved a crisis of some sort. Some of them may have just kind of happened at a specific season of life as a child or, or, or in high school or college. And some of the names on there might be names of friends that you have or friend, names of, of teachers, some Sunday school teachers. Names of parents or siblings. Every single one of us has a different story. But among the stories of faith written down before you, I'm pretty sure we would find at least two things in common on each list. God's transforming word and someone's transparent life. Whatever the event or whatever the circumstance was, somebody opened God's word with you or told you what God's word said about God and about you, about sin and Christ and faith. Someone opened God's word with you and someone opened their lives to you enough that you knew that you could trust them. That they... And not that you knew that they genuinely loved you and that their faith was real. They took the risk to share God's word with you and to share their life with you. And no matter what the variety of circumstances might be, you're always going to find those two things. God's word and someone's life. And that's what we mean when we're talking about life-on-life life discipleship this morning. So today we're we're returning to our series looking at the eight core commitments of our vision. What will it take for us as a church to move from our mission to glorify God as a family of believers who make disciples for Christ? What will it take to move from that to our vision of christ being treasured above all things here in the Metro West and throughout the world. We've identified eight strategies for that, eight core commitments, and we're in the middle of taking a look at each one of those core commitments this fall. We took a little break for our missions conference and Reformation Sunday, but we're back at it this morning. And so far, we've considered God-centered worship. That's a core commitment. If we're going to see Christ treasured, then gathering together to make much of him is critical to seeing him treasured and treasuring him ourselves. Uh, We talked about biblical exposition, the kind of preaching where the message of the sermon is the message of the Bible passage opened in front of you. And we've talked about prayer, about expressing our faith and dependence on God as a community. Uh, Christ will not be treasured apart from prayer, because Christ is the one who has to do the heavy lifting. God's the one who has to do the work, which means we must be a people of prayer. Today we come to life-on-life discipleship, our fourth core commitment. And to understand what we mean by that and what's at stake in that, I want to return to something that we've talked about before. So if you've been around Westgate for more than a couple of years, what I'm going to say this morning will not be completely new. But I think it's important, and what I want to do is take a little tour through the New Testament. We'll start in the Gospels, looking at the mission of the church to make disciples for Christ, and then we'll move through Acts until we find, uh, until we land ultimately in Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. and And as we go, we're going to consider. First, the the church's mission to make disciples for Christ in the Gospels, then God's strategy for that, spiritual multiplication, then the means that God has given us for that strategy, specifically God's transforming word in our transparent lives, and then finally we'll consider the basic method or pattern for what that even looks like. What pattern do we see across the scriptures, specifically Evangelizing, establishing, and equipping. So a little bit of a tour with a few stops along the way to understand what it means to uh, participate in a life on life discipleship. So not just passing on information, but sharing life in relationship around God's Word. What does that look like? What will it take? What has God called us to as we seek to see Christ treasured above all things. So we'll start in the Gospels with the mission, which is to make disciples for Christ. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them trace the life and work of Jesus Christ. So the big idea of all four of those Gospels, who is Jesus? What did he do? What did he teach? How is he rescuing us from our sin through his death and his resurrection? How he's conquering death and bringing new life. The Gospels show us how God is uh, establishing his kingdom and dealing with our sin through his eternal son, Jesus Christ. and, And what that life ...and death and resurrection looked like. That's kind of the big story of all four Gospels. But what's interesting is that at the conclusion of each Gospel... ...they conclude with Jesus having died and risen from the dead. And just before He returns to the Father... ...He gives His followers a commission. A job. We call it a great commission, right? The most famous version being found in Matthew 28... Jesus sends his church into the world to bear witness to the gospel, to who Jesus is and what he's done, and so to make disciples or followers of Christ. So Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is speaking as the king of heaven and earth. And here is his charge. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus sends his church into the world to make disciples or followers of Christ. Men and women who put their faith in Jesus, who turn from sin and trust in Christ, who are therefore Forgiven of their sins and reconciled with God. Adopted into his family. And who then follow Jesus and his way of life. Living as God's children and servants of his kingdom. That's the goal, to make disciples. And that goal is not simply about people beginning a relationship with Jesus. It's not uh, just that someone would come to know him. Though, of course, that's an important part of it. Uh, the goal is for them to grow up in Jesus as well. To be mature in Christ, steadfast, stable, serving God joyfully and bearing fruit in every good work to the glory of God, to the treasuring of Christ. So our mission is to make followers of Christ. That is straightforward, simple, and clear from the Gospels. That's what Christ sends his church into the world to do. What's the strategy? What does that look like? How are we supposed to do that? Well, if you follow the story into the Book of Acts, Christ is already revealing a strategy in the Gospels, but it, it it comes into greater focus in Acts. And Acts picks up right where the Gospels leave off. It begins with this same emphasis on the church's mission and commission to make disciples of all nations. So, Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus is saying before he ascends to heaven to his apostles he says but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth so it starts with that same commission and that's what we see actually then happen in the book of acts it starts the witness begins in Jerusalem and the Judea and Samaria and by the end of the book it's Heading out to the end of the earth. And just as Jesus taught God's word. And shared his life with the apostles. Whom he trained for three years. Before his crucifixion and resurrection. So the apostles teach God's word. And share their lives with other people. Such that more and more people come to Christ. The language of acts is this that the word of god is multiplying it's multiplying the the gospel increases and multiplies and more and more people come to faith in christ so the church in acts didn't grow through addition it wasn't peter preaching and everybody just listening to him it wasn't one man speaking and the church growing through addition rather it was a few people sharing christ with a few others who then turned around and shared Christ with a few others. And you see that multiplication process. We, we often call it spiritual multiplication. That was God's strategy. Another way to put it is that God's strategy for the Great Commission is you. You. It wasn't just one person standing up in front and talking to a bunch of people. It was several people talking to several people who then talked to several people. God's strategy for the Great Commission is God's people, you, disciples who make disciples. Sometimes we, we think about that. We think about evangelism or, or discipleship, and, and we it's easy, especially when you look over church history, it's easy to kind of fall into the trap of thinking, well, that's the job of the, quote, Professional Christians, the the clergy, the those who you know the missionaries, the pastors, and so on. Uh, my job is you know I don't know show up and 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 maybe give something, but 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 I you know I don't feel spiritual enough. Maybe I don't feel like I know the Bible well enough to actually invest in the life of another. It's just not what we see in Scripture, though. Um, Discipleship isn't for the so-called experts who aren't as expert as you think they are. Discipleship is literally for everyone, all of God's people. The apostles, and this is so interesting in Acts, the apostles were not the only ones bearing witness to Jesus. As soon as people heard about it and and became convinced of it, they were bearing witness as well. It's not just for the so-called experts. The apostles were equipping the saints, every Christian, for the work of ministry, for bearing witness and making disciples for Christ. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, where the apostles were gifted in what they were gifted with in order to equip everyone to do the work, not so that they just did the work. And so God's strategy is his whole church. Disciples who make disciples, that was a strategy in Acts, and if we think about it in our own lives, look at that worship folder again, the names listed on it. Not everybody has a name written down that was somebody that was a pastor or a missionary. I'll bet a lot of the names on your worship folder of the people who ministered the gospel to you did not make their living as a minister of the gospel. And so, just as it worked in Acts, so it continues to work today. It's disciples making disciples. And everyone who believes in Jesus is the fruit of someone else opening up their lives and opening up God's Word. Someone who took that risk, who showed us that love. And as followers of Christ, we have the privilege and responsibility to do for others what has been done for us. To open our lives. To open God's word. To make disciples for Christ. So that's the strategy. Y'all. You are the strategy. But what are, what are the means? What does it take for this to happen? God's transforming word in, in our transparent lives. Those are the means God has given us. And, and that's what we see as we finally get to Thessalonians. As As the uh, Great Commission advances, unfolds in the book of Acts, one of the cities that the Apostle Paul uh, spent some time in was Thessalonica, where he and Silas preached the gospel and they saw several people come to faith in Christ. You can read about that in Acts 17. But then a few years later, Paul's still thinking about this church. He's still burdened for this church. And so he writes a letter to that church, a couple of them eventually. Uh, We're looking at the first one. And that letter gives us a window not only into Paul's relationship with that church, but also how Paul went about the process of spiritual multiplication with the Thessalonians of, and how that process is now continuing with them. And there are two themes that come up again and again in the book as, as Paul describes their relationship and encourages them in their ministry. Two essential means of making disciples. It's God's transforming word and his people's transparent lives. So Paul emphasizes first the transforming power of God's word right at the beginning of the letter. He opens up with his typical greetings and and encouraging them. And he encourages them to, to keep walking and hoping in the power of the gospel. The gospel, God's word. The gospel is that message that changed their lives in the first place. Paul doesn't want them to move on from that. He encourages them to keep walking in that. Because it's that same gospel that will continue to change their lives. And the lives of others as they make Christ known. So if you look at chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. Paul writes, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So the heart of Paul's disciple-making ministry was the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Christ. It was the message of God's word. And that message is not just words. It is a transforming word. It came with power and the Holy Spirit. And full conviction. It is a message that is actually able to change lives. Think about that. The Spirit of God takes the truth that we proclaim and applies it to hearts. Convicting of sin, filling them with faith, giving us new life in Christ. The gospel comes to us right where we're at. But it doesn't leave us where we're at. It works in us and it changes us. We see this later in chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says, we, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the words of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The word of God is at work. It does the heavy lifting as God's Spirit applies it to the hearts of those who hear. So that's the the pivot foot of Paul's ministry, is the word of God that's able to change lives, the message of Christ. But that word throughout 1 Thessalonians is communicated in the context of his transparent life. He didn't just teach them from a safe distance. He loved them. He got involved in their lives. Uh, lives that are authentic, genuine, open for others to see how God has changed us. So look again at 1 verse 5. Our gospel came to you not in only in word, but also in power, and the Holy Spirit, and full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So we preach this word, but you know... What kind of men we were, our lives were open enough to you to see who we were, how we lived. They could see the genuineness of Paul's ministry and Paul's love, of his actual concern for them. They could see how God's word had actually changed his life. There was nothing safe or impersonal about his ministry. It was his life shared with their life, life on life. Personal, relational, real. It was God's transforming word shared through the transparent lives of his people. And we see this throughout his letter to the first Thessalonians. So look at chapter 2 with me. And I'm going to read through these verses again, but I want you to notice how these two things go hand in hand as I read them. Transforming word, transparent lives. Paul says, chapter 2, verse 1, For you yourselves know, brothers, so already there's the language of transparency. You know what I'm about to tell you. Uh, You know that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict, God's transforming word. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, transparency. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, God's word, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, transparency. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, shared life and transparency. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, God's Word, but also our own selves, transparent lives. Because you'd become so very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Transparent lives. While we proclaimed the gospel of God. God's word. You are our witnesses. As God and God also. uh, How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Transparency. You saw us for who we are. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Transparent lives ministering God's transforming word. That's the power. That's the pattern. That's the method, if you will, that we see those are the means God has given his people. And so think again of of your own life experience. Is this what you've seen in your life? Someone who loved you well enough to open their life to you. Someone who loved you well enough to open God's word with you. Is that what you've seen in your life? When I think through the people who've influenced my life for Christ, that's exactly what I see every time. I can think of my high school youth pastor who used to uh, put up with the stupidest questions as I was just trying to figure out what in, which side was up. Um, and, and every time, rather than just answer it, he would open God's word and say, well, let's see what this says. I think of a, uh, my friend Brian, whom I've talked about several times before, who met with me every week for four years in college that he might mentor me and, and teach me how to read the word, how to pray, hold me accountable to obeying, how to share my faith with others, because I watched him do it, and then he would watch me do it and help me figure out what I could have said differently here, he mentored me by sharing his life and sharing God's word. And that list really is endless. There are so many people uh, who have been, whom God has used to help me continue to grow in life and faith and independence on the gospel. So who was it in your life? And, and just as importantly, who are you sharing your life with? Who are you sharing your life with? The means God has given us for making disciples is his transforming word, our transparent lives. Uh, but how do we actually then go about doing it? If that's where the power is, uh, what is the pattern? What is, can we say something more specific about what this looks like? And I think we see in 1 Thessalonians the same pattern of ministry that we see with Jesus in the Gospels and with the Apostles in Acts. The simple pattern of evangelizing a non-Christian, establishing a new Christian or a young Christian, and equipping a growing Christian to turn around and do the same thing, to evangelize, establish, and equip. Again, it's that multiplication process in action. And and that's what I want to look at next, this method of making disciples, this method of life-on-life discipleship, evangelizing, establishing, and equipping. So look again at chapter 1. After Paul thanks God for the fruit of the gospel in, in the church's life, he reminds them of his ministry to them and of their spiritual journey, verses 4 through 10. And the first thing we see him talk about is evangelism, how Paul brought the gospel to them when they still did not know Christ. Verse 4, for we know, brothers, loved by God, he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and full conviction. So it begins with evangelism. And, and, and that's just a fancy word that means sharing the gospel. Evangelism comes from the Greek word for gospel. Uh, and it means sharing the, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, sharing God's transforming word with someone who doesn't know Christ. Uh, it's introducing them to Jesus as he's revealed in the word. And so we want to help somebody understand how their personal story fits into God's big story, the story of Scripture, and how His story is actually what changes everything. How Jesus deals with our greatest problems and satisfies our deepest longings, our greatest problem being the sin that separates us from God, and our deepest longing to know and be loved by God forever. And so we want to explain that clearly to someone. How Jesus' righteous life and sacrificial death deal with our sin and reconcile us to God. And how we take hold of that, not by uh, our works, not by our effort, not by anything that we do for God, but by trusting in what Christ has done for us. We take hold of it by faith. We introduce someone to Jesus. The goal of evangelism is to help someone believe the gospel. Not just agree, yeah, I I agree with that, but to trust in Christ, to believe the gospel of Jesus. And every Christian journey begins by believing in Christ, by turning away from sin, receiving forgiveness and new life, and becoming part of God's family. So we start with evangelism, helping someone believe the gospel. But the journey doesn't end there. Paul goes on to establish and then equip the believers in Thessalonica. Because in Christ, they are now part of a family, a family that has been given a mission, right? So middle of verse 5, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's sharing his life with them. And then later in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 12, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Paul doesn't just leave them as new Christians. He encourages them and establishes them that they might begin to grow up in Christ, to sink deep roots down, to become anchored in Christ, and to then grow up that they might Bear fruit for Christ. Because the goal, again, is not just beginning a relationship, it's growing, it's maturity. Colossians 1.12, Paul taught, or excuse me, 1.28, Paul talks about his goal in ministry. It's, it's, we, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So it's not just about adding to the number, it's about the whole of life. So, so if evangelism is helping someone believe the gospel, establishing is helping them depend on the gospel and apply it to every part of their life to become anchored in Christ and grow in him. But if you're going to sink deep roots down and grow up, what's the point of a tree growing up? It's to bear fruit. And so the third thing we see Paul do is equip the believers in Thessalonica. So if you look at chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. Notice how what Paul has done for them, they now are doing for others. Chapter 1, verse 7. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere such that we need not say anything. So so they were evangelized, they were established, then they were equipped, and the word of the Lord that that they once heard, they're now sharing with others and living in such a way that their lives have become the example. It's that spiritual multiplication process. It's what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 2, 2. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what you, Timothy, have heard from me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, to your third generation, and those faithful men who are able to teach others also, fourth generation. So it keeps on passing down. That's life-on-life discipleship. And it's not just an individual activity. Uh, It's wherever... God's people gather to share life and open his word. Large group, small group, uh, discipleship is happening. And there are lots of ways that we're already doing that as a church. Um, think of our Sunday school ministry, our home groups, our men's and women's Bible study, or our, the, the high school D group. Uh, there's lots of ways that's already happening, and each of those are critical uh, as we're seeking to promote the treasuring of Christ above all things by sharing our life and sharing God's word. But there's one area in our life as a church that we continue to have a hard time getting traction. And it's one of the most important areas of Life on Life discipleship. And that's the interpersonal level. You can get a lot done in small groups and in large groups. But there's something unique about two or three people opening their lives to each other and opening god's word together where where transformation just happens at a deeper level as we grow in our relationship with christ and that's one of the areas that we as a congregation have just had a hard time getting traction with um, there's a safety and honesty a transparency that's just not possible in larger group contexts and and so even though it's it's an area that that we haven't we don't have a good track record with. It's an area we're committed to growing in. As we think about it, if we're taking seriously our goal to see Christ treasured, what's that going to take? Uh, it means that there's some areas of our life and ministry we need to shore up as a congregation. This is one of them. This is one of them. To the point that next winter the elders are, are going to be pulling together a team uh, to explore and outline a strategy. For, life on, for cultivating life-on-life life discipleship as a church. Uh, it's happening in the winter because right now we're pulling together a team to look at that for outreach. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But there's two things I want to say as we conclude uh, by way of application. The first is that you don't need a church-wide program to make disciples for Christ. We want to help you, and we want to figure out what that looks like. But remember that you are God's strategy. You are God's strategy. You don't need, you don't have to wait for us to figure out the high-level strategy stuff to begin investing in someone else for Christ. You can start that today. You know, you look at the list of those who have invested in you who are you going to invest in you know what and you just start with two people what two people think of one person who knows Jesus already but needs to grow, one person who doesn 't know Jesus yet, two people who might you begin praying for even today, Lord, how could I come alongside this person and help them either come believe the gospel or Grow in depending on and applying the gospel and becoming a minister of the gospel. What two people might you invest in? Or, or maybe you're, you're sitting there as a young Christian or a new Christian uh, thinking, I'm not sure what I would do, but, but maybe there's someone who could come alongside you and help you grow. Who would you be interested in talking to? Pray about that. Think about who, who do I respect? Who is, whose life seems to emulate Christ's life? And ask them to get coffee and have a conversation. So much of Life on Life discipleship is really just friendship in Jesus. That's what we're talking about. And if you're not a Christian, you might think, okay, who do I trust that I can actually ask some of my hard questions to? Get coffee with them. So, so you don't have to wait till we figure out broad level strategy stuff to begin applying what we're looking at today but the second thing i want to say is that if this is really going to happen if we're really going to take this core commitment seriously it's going to be costly it's going to be costly it means that we're going to have to die to ourselves we're going to have to make sacrifices Because it's not the kind of thing that fits conveniently into your already over busy schedule. It just doesn't. It means I'm going to have to say no to some things to make myself available for the work of Christ's kingdom. It means we're going to have to change. Personally and as a church. I mean, one of the reasons that discipleship is so hard is because it, it just flat out interrupts the status quo. It redirects our attention. It takes up our emotions. It challenges our priorities. It forces our eyes off of ourselves. And Jesus never said it would be easy. But he promised that it would be worth it. He promised it would be worth it. He says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, Be a follower of Christ. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? It's not going to be easy, but it will always be worth it. We're called to share our lives and God's Word with others. That Christ might be treasured above all things. And may God be pleased to multiply His Word in and through us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we confess that there are there's a tension in so many of our hearts. We are excited to think about what it would look like to see more and more people following Christ, giving their lives away, growing in Christ, finding a satisfaction in you, giving you the glory that you alone deserve. And yet, Lord, we're torn because we know that that's costly. And and we're not sure if we can do it, Lord, would you remind us that your word is sufficient, your spirit is sufficient, that whatever you call us to, you will supply the strength and wisdom to carry it out. Lord, give us confidence in Christ to be ministers of your word, to open our lives, to open your word with others. And would you give us a burden to see that done? Would you help us to do for others what, what your children did for us? Help us be a church that makes disciples for Christ. And Lord, as we share one another's burdens and open our lives, we pray for those among us who find themselves in need. Lord, we pray for Ruth Hep as she received radiation treatment this week. Uh, Lord, would it be effective? Would you kill this cancer and preserve her and give her uh, health once again, Lord? We pray for uh, Suki and Jerry Cobb. Would you continue to give them strength as Suki recovers? We praise you for the successful uh, hip surgery for Jane Hilton and how uh, it's just your marvelous grace how she rebounds uh, from these things so quickly. What a what a gift that is, Lord. Would you continue to protect her health? We pray for Steve and Tosh Hope's parents, for Sophia, Tosh's mom, as she's declining, and for Tom's, or for uh, Steve's dad, Tom, uh, who's 97 and, and um, seems to be uh, at the end of his journey, Lord, as Steve is with him right now. Would you uh, open his heart if he doesn't know you to draw him to you? Would you give Steve comfort and grace? as he loves his dad. Lord, we pray for Beverly Ware's mother, who's been hospitalized. We pray for strength and recovery for her. We think of Hannah Riffle, stand right out for others who need your healing touch, God. And we thank you again for Pastor Nathan and for the work you're doing in Haiti. Lord, would you uh, continue to make much of your name in and through this man and his ministry. Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy and we praise you. Would you be pleased to multiply your word in and through us? In Jesus' name, amen.